Hi, my name's Jason. I'm the senior pastor at Chilton Church. We hope all our messages will help you connect more fully with God's love, grow as his follower, and share his hope with those around you. Thanks so much for joining us. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Ryan. I am the youth and worship pastor here at Chilton, and I'm excited to share with you. Let me just pray for us, and then we'll jump right in. Now, Father God, we thank you that we can gather and be encouraged. Thank you, God, that you say in your word that we should make a habit of coming together, gathering, and being encouraged by you and by one another. And so I pray, God, that you would encourage us this morning, that as we hear from your word, that you would speak into our hearts and minds, and we would have the peace of Christ encourage us. And I know, God, that where your Holy Spirit is, there is clarity and there is conviction. And so I pray, God, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, within all of us, bring greater clarity and understanding. Help me, God, to speak with clarity. Help us all to understand rightly what your word is saying. And help us to have conviction about it. To not just be hearers, but doers of the word. And I pray and have a sense that God wants to increase and release faith to strengthen our resolve. And so I pray God do that by your Holy Spirit. Increase our faith. Help us in the, in the bits in our hearts where there still is some unbelief. Help us with that. Increase our faith. Strengthen our resolve that we might follow you and follow the example of Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. I don't know what comes into your mind when you hear the word test, okay? If you are in high school, and at this stage none of you are, um, but it's probably not, a, probably not a good thing, a test or a trial. And many of us will go through different kinds of tests or trials in life. Um, we write tests to check our knowledge. Um, I was quite bad in high school. I was so bad, I think I failed the blood test, but, um, but didn't do very well. In fact, mathematics literally brought me to tears, of literally sobbing. Um, because of mathematics, which is why I became a pastor. Uh, and even though my dad pushed me to become an accountant, he clearly gave up that dream as well. Um, because, sorry. Um, yeah, because clearly I wasn't good with numbers. We take trials in sport to assess our abilities. We go and run these things called beep tests. I don't know if you heard of these, what these things are. You run between two lines as quick as you can between the two beeps so that you can see how fit you are. Again, I wasn't very good at this. I've got short legs. But uh, we do these things. We have trial periods in our jobs to test our abilities. And much of the hardships that we have in life, we call trials because they test our character and they test our perseverance. I have glasses, as you can see. And if you can't, you might need glasses. But, but often we had to go and take this, this eye test. I'm not sure if it's the same here. But they would ask us to look into these little goggles, right? And after you've told them about the letters, and for some reason we always try to guess even though we're there to assess the ability of our eyes, we always want to see if we can pass by fluke, um, which doesn't really help the matter. But, but we look in and at one stage, and I, I'm sure this does nothing. I'm convinced this means nothing. But they will puff some air into your eyes. Do they do that here in the eye test? They just like shoot some air into your eyes. And everyone hates it because you're always like, why did you do that? What does that do? Tell me what that accomplishes. But it's uncomfortable and probably it does accomplish something that I don't understand. And it helps us to assess our vision, to assess how well we can see. And so tests and trials tell us what the character of something is, the quality, the sincerity of it, the genuineness or purity of it, like gold. 
needs to be tested by fire. Peter uses that as an analogy of our faith. Our character will be tested. Jewelry has to be tested unless you want to end up with fake jewelry. And, and most of the stories, the movies that we watch, the books that we read, there will be these moments where our character, the hero, is tested. There is a, there's usually these pivotal moments along the story where the character is, is, is brought to a space of testing, a space where they need to overcome. I, I watched a movie the other day called Warrior, and it's about two brothers fighting, which is such a bizarre concept. I have a younger brother. We may or may not have brawled a few times. Um, I'm not going to say who won. But, but, but they're these two characters, and they're, and they're both brothers, and they're both in mixed martial arts, and they've been trained in the, when they were younger. And it's this emotional journey about how they come into this, this, this battle, and there's this big final battle at the end where they go to fight one another, and it's emotional because there's reconciliation. But they go through these trials. They go through these difficulties. Each of them, they, they track the backstory leading up to this fight, and you see there are these moments of make or break. These moments are, where's your character? Are you going to push through? In running, you talk about hitting the wall. As you run this race of faith with perseverance, often there comes a moment where you may hit a wall, a moment of testing. And what's so great about the Gospels, and as we look into the life of Jesus, as we're introduced to this person, Jesus Christ, we get to see him in one of these moments. In one of these moments where he is brought to a space of testing, and there will be a few more along the way and probably many that we don't know about. John says in his gospel that there's so much about Jesus that wasn't written. If it was written, the books would have filled the earth. Jesus did a lot, but there is a selected amount of material that these writers, inspired by the Holy Spirit, want us to see something. And Mark gives us a glimpse into this moment, the scene where Jesus is tested. And he starts in, in, in verse 12, the scene opens and it says, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. You see, this moment, this test time, this pivotal encounter is ultimately connected to Jesus' baptism, right? He uses this phrase immediately and it's something Mark does a lot, but he does it because he wants you to see the, the connection of these stories. See, Jesus has just been baptized by John. We looked at that last week. He's been anointed by the Holy Spirit. The skies open up, a dove comes down, it's magical, painting's brilliant. But the Holy Spirit touches Jesus, anoints him with power. He would be the anointed one come to deliver captives. And this voice, the Father, speaks from heaven with clarity saying, This is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. And then that Spirit that anoints him leads him out into the wilderness. And in, for, in order for us to understand this scene, this moment, this, this time of testing that Jesus is about to go through, we need to understand the significance of the wilderness. We need to understand how this, this idea of the wilderness, what it represents in the scriptures. You see, the, the whole, most of the Old Testament is about the story of God with his people. For those of you who don't know, the Bible opens up with creation, there's the fall, things go wrong. And a bit later, God picks this man named Abram, who becomes Abraham, and gives him this promise, this promise of blessing. And we fast forward we, through that story. A lot happens in, in that time. But what ends up happening is Abraham's descendants become a nation, the nation of Israel. And they are considered God's people. God's made a promise with them, a vow, kind of like a marriage. It's a covenant. 
saying, I will be your God. You will be my people. We will have relationship and we will journey. And, and a lot of what happens in the Old Testament is, is this, this journey being worked out. Israel going through all of these things, going through these, these moments, trying to get this blessing that was originally promised to Abraham through whom they all come from. And so Israel is subsistence farmers. And when they think of wilderness, they think of a barren land, a place where there's not enough to survive place where, it's, where there's no good, right? It's empty. And this plays an important role, this area, this a real location, but ends up playing a really important role in the history of their story. You see, at some stage, they find themselves in Egypt. They find themselves in slavery and they cry out to God. And God sends Moses to deliver them from Egypt. And he leaves them out and they, they, they are delivered from slavery and they're led through the waters of the Red Sea. You may have seen these, these movies that have been made about it or heard this in Sunday school. Where God miraculously delivers them out of slavery through the waters of the Red Sea. He leads them then into the wilderness. God there meets with them. Right? He meets with them. They receive the, the commands at a mountain in the wilderness. God's presence through the ark which they would carry with them, was present with them in the wilderness. The wilderness was a place where God would meet with them and guard them. There was a, a cloud of fire that would guard them at night so that they could follow God and, and know where to go, all the way hoping for this promised blessing that he was leading them toward. But then they come to their moment of testing. They're grumbling along the way, but when it comes to the pivotal moment, they don't respond with faith and they rebel. And God judges them and says, because of your rebellion, you will now be judged in the wilderness, a place where you met with me, a place where we first were encountering one another. Now you're going to be led there and I'm going to execute my judgment. And a new generation I will raise up. So there's judgment, but there's also restoration. He makes this promise that even though this generation has been so unfaithful from this generation, a new generation will rise up and they will then come out of the wilderness and into the promised land. And, and, and you're, it's interesting, they pass through the waters of the Red Sea into the wilderness. They're tested, they fail, they're judged. But then the new generation rises up, they show faith, and they go through the waters of Jordan into the promised land. It's quite an interesting parallel, quite an interesting story. And so from this, the prophets and the rest of the Old Testament, they keep referring to this place, the wilderness, the wilderness. And the wilderness represents a place where God meets his people. It's a place where God meets us profoundly. It's a place where, where we feel low, we feel like there's not enough around us, but God's presence is there, even with the lack all around us. There's direction, there's revelation, and there's provision. Even in the lack, God is providing. And they keep doubting, God, will you provide in this moment? And he keeps providing. And yet they still keep meeting him with doubt and rebellion. It's also a place, not only where, where God meets us, it's a place where we are tested and tempted. Because reliance is required. Dependence, not self-sufficiency. It's easy to trust God with a full bank account. It's easy to trust God when it's going well. But when we're in the wilderness, faith is a fight Devotion in the desert is tough. And at times it, it has to become a place of judgment for those 
who rebel. And it's this place where Jesus is led. It's interesting that, that Jesus passes through the waters of baptism in the Jordan and is then immediately led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And this would be a habit of Jesus. This would be a habit of Jesus. He would go out into the desolate places at times to pray. He would go up into mountains. He would often seclude himself, isolate himself so that he could be with God because, again, the wilderness was not just a bad place. It was a place where God meets with us because in busyness, we can be distracted. In crowds, we can get lost. But in isolation, we can set our focus on God even when there is lack. And so Jesus would make a practice of withdrawing to pray, to seek his Father. But Satan doesn't fight fair. And he will come to us in those places. He will come to us in the places of our own wilderness to, to greet us with temptation, as he does with Jesus. And so Jesus is engaged in this battle with Satan. This moment of testing begins. Matthew gives us a bit more detail, and we'll, we'll look at that a bit later. But Mark here just wants to impress something, that these temptations were ongoing for 40 days. See, Jesus is in the desert for 40 days, just like the Israelites were in the desert for 40 years. The parallel is there. He's surrounded by wild animals. He's assisted by angels. He is immersed in spiritual war warfare because he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. Again, these parallels with Israel's experience are many. Jesus comes to deliver God's people from slavery like Moses came to deliver Israel from slavery. He passes through the waters of baptism and is led into the wilderness just like they passed through the waters of the Red Sea and into the wilderness. Where they tested and fail, he is tested and triumphs. Mark actually doesn't include this. He wants us to remember that this is an ongoing experience. But Matthew and Luke both record this, this in a bit more detail and let us know that Jesus is triumphant. Where Israel failed, Jesus is victorious. Where they responded with rebellion and disobedience, Jesus responds with faith and obedience. But although he passes the test, he still chooses later on to take on the judgment of our rebellion anyway. See, when Israel failed the test, they were judged in the wilderness. Jesus goes into the wilderness and passes the test. He's triumphant. It shows that he is who he says he is. The son of God. The one who's come to deliver from slavery and who is competent to do so. But not only does he do so by being triumphant over Satan in the wilderness. But he does so by taking on all of our punishment. The wonderings that we deserved Jesus takes on himself. And he opens up a way for us to enter the promised land by faith. Bless him. The one who was triumphant. And because of Jesus, we can walk through the wilderness and any wilderness-like experience of life. Knowing that God will strengthen us as we trust him. And that ultimately, he is leading us into greater joy. He is leading us into the promised land. We can see Jesus triumphant in the wilderness and know that he is for us. That he will be with us. That he will strengthen us. And so I want us to briefly consider some of the content of these temptations. And I haven't put it on the screen, but if you want to go and read Matthew 4's account, it is brilliant. And what's so interesting is Jesus responds with scripture. 
And if you just read it in the New Testament context, it's great. But if you actually track those scriptures, what you'll find is every single one of the responses Jesus has to the three temptations is connected to an experience that Israel had in the desert. It's directly connected. So even Jesus recognized this moment that I'm having in the wilderness. This is parallel to the moment that Israel had. But where they failed, I will succeed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is tempted in three main ways. He is tempted to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Okay, he was hungry. I love Matthew's account because it says fasting 40 days and 40 nights. He came to be tempted and he was hungry. It's like that's quite an understatement after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. But it's interesting because Satan goes for that physical need. How many of us have physical needs? How many of us have material needs? It's a challenge. Some of us will have legitimate needs and we will be tempted to meet them in an illegitimate way. Satan says to Jesus, just turn these rocks into bread. If you are the son of God, again, attacking his identity, asking him to somehow prove himself. And Jesus says, no, we should live on God's word. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This comes from a quotation in the desert where Israel are being tempted. They're hungry and they're going, will God provide for us? And they start to grumble and their tummies grumble as well. And God provides bread from heaven to feed them despite their grumblings and maybe because of it. Interesting that Jesus would say in John, I am the bread of life. I am the sustenance from heaven. The second test that Jesus would get would be this, this, this temptation to test God. And this one's quite an interesting one. Because Satan takes him up to this mountain and says, if you are the son of God, jump off. Surely God will save you. He will rescue you. Huh? Find out really, where, don't you want to know? Don't you want to know really whether this is true? Come on, Jesus, just jump off. Just find out. Because if you are who you say are, God's going to rescue you. Again, Jesus says, thou shalt not test the Lord. Again, this quotation jumps back to this experience in Israel. Israel wandering in the deserts and they're getting thirsty. Amazing how many of our temptations are linked to our stomach. And they're getting thirsty. And it's not just that they're thirsty this time. It's not just like the bread instance where, okay, we've got a, we've got a need, right? Now they actually start to go, is God even really for us? You know, we're thirsty. Is God even here? Whoops. Is God even here? And they start to grumble and quarrel. They fight against Moses. And though God had been providing constantly, I mean, by this stage, he's led them through an ocean, literally. He's provided bread from heaven, literally. He's clothed them. He's guided them. He's directed them. He's been present with them. And even though that's been true, they still doubt his presence and his goodness. How many of us are tempted in that moment? Like, God, if you're really good, you know, you're going to catch me. I should just jump and you're going to catch me. And there's this, is God really here? And it's in that moment that, that Moses rebukes them and says, you should not test God. And that place where this all happened was actually became known as the place of testing for Israel. And Jesus links this quote right back to them. Finally, Satan takes him up into this massive 
mountain and shows him all of the kingdoms of the world and says, if you just worship me, I will give you all of this. And Jesus would ultimately be the one, the king, who would reign over everything. But he would go through and experience, not just in the wilderness, he would go through the cross. He would go through a, a greater time of testing. Okay, this is not me. And so he's, he's tempted to, to worship Satan, to take a shortcut. He's tempted to worship Satan to get stuff, to get the prosperity in an easy way. And I just want to make a comment here. We should be careful because prosperity, material blessings, is what Satan promises to Jesus for those who worship him. Right? So we need to be careful because what's interesting is God meets with us in the wilderness. He meets with us, meets with us there. And I think there's a reason for that because I think it's in the abundance that we forget him. I want to read you a passage from this Deuteronomy section. Um, and just want to hear again the emphasis that Moses puts on. He says this. He says, when the Lord God, your God brings you into this land, they're about to enter this promised land. They've been wandering in this desert and they're about to go in. He says, when your God brings you into this land that he swore to your fathers, that he swore to give you this land that has great and good cities that you did not build, this land that has houses full of good things that you did not fill, this land that has cisterns or wells that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear you shall not go after any other God. It is when we are full that we are most forgetful. It is when we are content that we are most easily tempted. But it is in the desert where God wants to meet with us, provide for us, direct us, where we can feel intimate with him. When we have lack. One pastor put it like this. He says, you'll never know that Jesus is all you need until you get there. You'll never know until he's all you have. And so we see Jesus tempted and he triumphs. And all of us are tempted, much like the pug on the screen. Tempted to take a bite of the pie. And all of us will be tempted. We will be tested. And just to say, the word for test and tempt in the New Testament is basically the same. It has the same root. They're intimately connected. Satan will come and tempt us. And God will use that as a way to test our character. To see the sincerity of our faith. And so what Satan intended in this wilderness to derail Jesus ends up strengthening him for his actual purpose. And so I want to say, even though we will be tempted, we can take heart because we have a savior who sympathizes. How many of you think of God as sympathetic? Because you should. See, in Hebrews, it says this. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God. So let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. He's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, with the temptations, with the testings that we go through. But in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We 
will be tempted when we are in the wilderness. We will be tempted when we have need. We will be tempted to doubt God and to test Him. And we will be tempted to trust in other things, in other gods, in other idols in the wilderness. But Jesus was victorious. And He is sympathetic to our struggle. But not only that, He has equipped us to fight it and He is with us in the fight. And He is calling us to have faith in the wilderness. He is calling us to have faith in the wilderness. Again, this is a place where we draw near to God. It is a place where we are refined and strengthened for battle. It is a place where we will be tempted by the enemy to doubt God and to serve ourselves, but we instead must be filled with the Spirit that filled Jesus and be filled with the Word of God that we may be victorious. We must trust in God who not only meets us in the desert, but leads us through it and into the promised land. Jesus said this, in this world, you will have trouble. Take heart, have faith, for I have overcome the world. Life is wilderness. Faith is a fight. And we must remember that God is good. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to go into a time of communion that Jason will lead. So why don't you bow your heads and just want to, just want to ask you to just, just open your heart to God. Maybe you want to open your hands. And I'm just going to pray again that God would, would meet us and fill us with the Holy Spirit because we need the Holy Spirit in these battles, in these moments. We will go through our own wilderness experiences and we need God to strengthen us for them. And I'm going to pray that he would impart faith into us, that we might trust him in the midst of the desert, that we might show devotion in the midst of the wilderness. Now, Father, I pray very simply that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. You would fill us with the Holy Spirit who leads us, leads us towards you, that we might have intimacy with you, But I also pray, God, that you would fill us with faith. That we would be strengthened for battle in the wilderness. That there we would feel most intimate with you, but even there we know we will be tested. And there we will overcome. Because the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And so I pray, God, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Fill us with faith. And lastly, I pray, God, fill us with gratitude. That even when we stumble in the desert, we know that because of your victory, your overcoming, that we will ultimately reach the promised land. You will sustain us and get us there. And so we commit ourselves to you, God. Help us to have devotion in the desert and to fight for faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the church and how to connect with us in person or online wherever you are, please visit our website at www.chiltonchurch.org.uk.